This is the Collaboration Dynamics Podcast, helping you work together better with Judy Reese, X-ray listener, best-selling author, international virtual collaboration trainer, and master of metaphor. Hear more at xraylistening.com. a collaboration that builds something that lasts. That's one of the things I've been talking about with Andy Smith. He set up a, a, a voluntary group, an NLP practice group, which has lasted and lasted. Let's find out how he did it. With me on the line today, I've got Andy Smith, who's been a very dear friend over the internet for many years. We have met, but virtually all our interaction over several years has been online. And he's helped me on loads of projects. He is now um, the host of one of the most successful podcasts in the NLP world, Practical NLP. Um, and I'm delighted that he's agreed to be interviewed for my podcast. Hello, Andy. How are you doing? Would you like to introduce yourself properly? Hello, Judy. Yes, I'm, uh, I'm good. I've just come in from uh, an hour of shifting a pile of logs in the sun. So uh, excuse slight breathlessness and... Uh, your listeners won't pick it up, but sweatiness as well. Um, yeah, so I, I am an NLP trainer and uh, been involved in NLP for about, oh, this will be the 20th year that I've been involved in it, but um, I'm doing rather more now in the way of emotional intelligence and appreciative inquiry in the corporate world. Mm, emotional intelligence and appreciative inquiry. Now, I could ask you all about that, but this podcast is all about collaboration. And yesterday, when I asked you, would you please be kind enough to be interviewed, you, you were a bit reluctant. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was. It's, it's true. And the reason is that um, the vast majority of what I consider my most successful or quality work I've done by myself or uh, I've been in in charge of people assistants and so on uh, rather than collaborating I, I often come away from a collaboration experience uh, feeling oh, that could have gone better or why did they have to do that or <laughs> mm. and yet I know that amongst other things you've um you, you founded the uh, most successful NLP practice group in the world in Richmond um, so you say, so you say, yeah. it's the most successful. I, I'm, I've, I've not seen the stats, but um, nobody has contradicted that so far. So, uh, so I've been saying it for a long time since um, as a result of you founding that group, I ended up meeting um, a lady who was my business partner, who uh, later became my co-author of uh, the book I, I, I wrote and, and so on. So um, all sorts of interesting collaborations came out of that. And something like a practice group is cannot be anything but a brilliant collaboration. So I think there's something really interesting here. So okay, um, <laughs> yeah, lo loads of uh, loads of people got uh, loads of business opportunities and course participants and so on from that group. But um, you are actually right when you when you mention that group, which was you know a long time ago for me now because um, I handed it over to somebody else in I think 2001 or possibly even 2000. Um, I handed it over to Balbir Chagger, and it's now in the hands of Henrietta Late, I think, and still running. Um, 
that was actually uh, an example of successful collaboration because I didn't found it by myself at all. I, I founded it um, with uh, another guy called Nick Driscoll and, uh, and we were both kind of equally in charge of it and co-handled the running of it and so on. And yeah, that was a time when I did actually collaborate successfully with somebody and um, we created something and sustained something really worthwhile there for uh, at least five years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when you were collaborating like that with Nick, that kind of collaboration, that was like what? Ah, it was like we were going in the same direction. Uh, we didn't know where it would lead. We were having a lot of fun along the way. We were there to support each other. Um, we, yeah, I mean, it wasn't, it, it didn't seem hard. None of it seemed hard at all. Setting that group up, um, getting, the, getting the audience. Uh, this is pre-internet, of course. Mm -hmm. I think the internet was just emerging in about 1995. So we used to send out flyers by post and, and, and so on. Uh, but you know, first first meeting absolutely rammed. I think there was about forty people there. Mm -hmm. um, room anyway. Um, second meeting about six, but that's all right because uh, it it was it was it was usually at least twenty or thirty, uh, which was more than enough to sustain it. And yeah, it all seemed it all seemed really easy. We didn't really face any massive challenges though. Uh, it wasn't stressful. Even when I, uh, yeah, even when I left my keys at home and I had to, uh, I had to whiz back to my flat and then come back to uh, thirty or forty people jamming the alleyway outside the room and open the doors on the dot of seven o'clock when it was supposed to start. Even that wasn't stressful; it was just funny. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so yeah, um, yeah, we were going, we were going in the same direction. Uh, we thought it would lead somewhere exciting and. Uh, and it did. We met. We met loads of people. We learned loads. Um, I think we were probably impressed by each other's skills at that point because we each knew had skills and knew things that the other one didn't. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So it was like, uh, what was it like? It was almost <laughs> the. It was almost like a student gap year where you go off with your mate, you know, and sort of go through Europe. Um, <laughs> not that I ever did that, but <laughs> in, a, in a way, it was like that. Mm. So going off like a student gap year, off through Europe, going in the same direction, going somewhere exciting and having lots of fun. Meeting loads of interesting people along the way. Um, yeah, there's, uh, there was an old guy, Peter, who used to come to that group um, every, every week. And he'd been to uh, the Richard Bandler, Paul McKenna practitioner, I think. And we didn't know it at the time, but he was the guy who used to do the voices for uh, Captain Pugwash. Blimey. So, authentic <laughs> star, yeah. Authentic star in our midst. He was a, he was a lovely guy. Of course, of course, not everybody listening to this will know will remember Captain Pugwash with the same level of uh, intensity that we do. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but absolutely, I touched by greatness. Uh, you've even met the guy who did the voices in Captain Pugwash. I mean, <laughs> unknowingly, yeah, yeah. Um, he, he's on YouTube for younger listeners, so I'm sure. <laughs>
brilliant. So, so meeting exciting people and going in the same direction, and going somewhere exciting and having lots of fun and not stressful. Yep. And no. uh, when it's a collaboration like that, you were like what? Relaxed, easy, feeling somewhat supported, not that a huge amount of support was needed. Uh, you know, if I, if I was ever on holiday or busy, he'd host the group on his own or vice versa. And I think we drafted another guy in to, to be sort of backstop as well, um, you know, for, for occasions, the rare occasions where neither of us could make it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, so it made it easier having two of us. Uh, it made it less work, obviously, because mm-hmm. we could uh, share the work. And you respected each other's skills. Yeah, yeah. Um, I met Nick when I assisted on a master practitioner course, I think, that he was doing with uh, Amy Chu, the lady that I trained with. And when he graduated, he was in the sort of class after me, um, Amy suggested, well, why don't the two of you run uh, an NLP group? I think because she set up this, or bought or set up this training room and uh, probably she just wanted to get some use out of it and a bit of income from it. And uh, having an NLP group there was, is a quite a nice way to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so, so I didn't really know him. So I went and had a meeting with him in a, in a cafe in Ealing where he worked and we got on. And, uh, yeah, he, I, I started respecting his skills when he ran a session for that group and um, he did a really nice modeling exercise uh, where you modeled how somebody would relax and then you feed it back to them and they just sort of end up in a trance. <laughs> because you've, you've followed their exact strategy for uh, for, for relaxing and, uh, and going into a trance, which was such a neat exercise, and I use that to this day. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was how it was when you were setting up the Richmond Group. Um, and mm-hmm. nowadays, you're much more of a lone wolf. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I do work with other people. I have worked with other people. I probably will work with other people again. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly if it's the right person. And uh, I don't know, I guess I'm very pernickety about the way that I train. Because mm-hmm. it's usually training collaborations that I've been involved in. And um, if it's writing stuff or producing courseware, um, it's usually me out of the collaboration that ends up writing most of it. Mm-hmm. Or if they write some general, I want to change it or correct the grammar or <laughs> make it look nice. So what makes a collaboration work well and what makes it stressful and, and not work so well for you? Okay. Um, all right. So I think what makes it work well is where you have different strengths and different skills and you play to those strengths and skills. So, you know, if I'm working with somebody who is really good at uh, getting business and getting corporate gigs, um, 
they're probably much better at it than I am. So I'm quite happy then to, oh yeah, the, the, I think there's an element of uh, equal contribution to it as well. You have to feel that, um, or I have to feel that the effort I'm putting in is being roughly matched by the effort that the other person is putting in so that, or, the, or I don't know, it could be something, I suppose they could be doing something that comes very, very easily to them, but the benefit I'm getting from their contribution makes it worth the effort that I'm putting in on, mm. on my side. And that the end product has to be of high quality and good for the, good for the customer or good for the recipient or good for the um, course participant. Mm-hmm. I'm very interested in the, the relationship between the effort that people are putting in and the benefit that you get out. So I think this is one yeah. where there's often a point of at the very least tension. Um, mm-hmm. So for you, is there, is there anything else about that, that point? Yeah, there's a time element to it as well, uh, or, a, or a time perspective, because naturally in, in, the, in the course of a collaboration, uh, especially if you're doing different things, there are going to be times when one person is working harder on it uh, or the other person is working harder on it. So, um, so you're not monitoring it every, every five minutes and thinking, hang on a minute, I'm putting in 55%, they're only putting in 45% mm-hmm. right now, this moment. That's not fair. Uh, you need to look at it over uh, a period of maybe weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, it roughly, roughly evens out. Mm-hmm. It roughly evens out in terms of time yeah. and effort. Um, yeah, effort over time. Mm-hmm. So the total amount of effort uh, roughly matches. Or, as I say, you get a uh, tremendous, you, you get a, a benefit back from the collaboration which matches or makes worthwhile the effort that you're putting in. Mm-hmm. Um, so that it's better than you could have done by yourself, I guess. Mm-hmm. And how would you know if that was true? Uh, I think you can get a sense of how much effort people are putting in, I think, because you have a rough idea of what they're doing, what they're doing, even if you don't know how they're doing it exactly. Mm. Um, the other thing that shows up, I guess, is on the financial side. So, um, for example, I collaborated with someone around a, delivering appreciative inquiry facilitation and courses for quite a few years. And I put most of the work into writing the handouts and probably designing the course. I mean, that's not strictly fair because. Um, I think she designed the course and she wrote some handouts and then I just insisted on rewriting the handouts. Uh, so, so that was, so that was me, but, um, I, you know, I did the website and I wrote a little blog for it and so on. And, um, and, and so I was probably spending quite a lot more hours on it. On the other hand, she had loads of contacts and probably 95% of the work we got was through her. So, that worked out very well, and uh, I certainly wasn't complaining. Mm-hmm. And when there is that um, 
balance of effort and benefit like that. Um, then what happens to um, the kind of collaboration that's like a student gap year? Uh, it continues. Uh, and, and these are two separate cases, by the way. I, mm. mean, I, think, um, I think the NLP group, I think probably Nick and I were putting in roughly equal effort until he got, I don't know, bored with it or disillusioned with NLP or something. Mm. And he decided, um, he decided he didn't want to be involved in the day-to-day -day running of it anymore. And he just kind of took a step back and then um, vanished out of it altogether. Um, so you kind of... Yeah, it's a little bit like <laughs> a little bit like in a cowboy movie. You know, you ride together for a while, and then mm -hmm. uh, one of you goes off somewhere. And uh, that's an interesting metaphor in itself, isn't it? If you are riding together for a while, and then what happens? What is it that happens just before one of you rides off? Um, yeah, so it's not. It's probably not any sort of big conflict or argument or disagreement about direction. It's probably more that one or other of the participants, uh, one of the other of the collaborators, uh, just starts to get more interested in something else and it claims more and more of their attention and they, they back out of it. And, and that's fine as long as you're kind of the, the whole success of the venture doesn't depend on them being there as well. If they can be replaced or if you can do it by yourself at least for a while or you can mutate it into something else that you can do solo mm -hmm. that's all that's good have you had the experience of it uh, ending in a in a less than pleasant way um yes for sure um there was yeah there was i mean this is when i was much much younger and i, I was running the first sort of workshops I ran were with somebody who was uh, a, a huge kind of uh, cognitive behavioral therapy advocate. And um, that was the reverse, actually. She supplied all the material and I got the, uh, I got the uh, participants somehow. Um, but I ended up not wanting to work that way and, and um, probably told her that in a, in a rather abrupt and, and you know, not very good form actually. I, I, I go back and do it differently now. I think, mm. um, and then other times, um, not acrimonious, but I, I do reach a point where I think, oh, I'm not going to. I particularly co-training because uh, I'm really, really persnickety about about the training experience for my for my students. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. um, so I, I did actually write a blog post about this a while back about what co-trainers can learn from improv comedy mm. which i don't know very much about but i do know one thing about it which is there's this principle which is the basis of uh the basis of it which if i'd been smart i would have looked my blog up to remember what it was called but basically you have to say yes to whatever the other person mm. is doing you can't contradict it and you have to sort of go where that takes you and i think if if uh if your co-trainer knows that and is familiar with it and uh, remembers it once you've explained it to them three or four times, which uh, sometimes <laughs> they don't, um, then everything's going to be okay, more or less, I think. Uh, mm -hmm. If they don't get that, then 
it makes it hard to continue collaborating with them. This is probably just my personality type, but um, uh, one thing that will keep a, will, will mess up a collaboration for me is if they're kind of aggressively giving you feedback all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, this this is probably just my personality type. I think some I know some people really thrive on feedback. I find there's a small amount that I can take, and after that, it's uh, it gets counterproductive. <laughs> it does depend <laughs> on the it, kind of feedback, time. doesn't it? <laughs> Well, it, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. And one of the things I, I talk about when I'm doing collaboration dynamic stuff is uh, a particular feedback model that puts the responsibility on the feedback giver to actually take mm -hmm. a bit of responsibility for what they're doing and how it lands. Um, right, okay. An awful lot more, hmm. a lot of people give feedback in a sort of uh, very random and, uh, as you say, aggressive way. Using yeah, feedback yeah, as a or weapon. Yeah, to make themselves feel better. Or, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, I, I've, I've, um, I've got a model of giving feedback in an emotionally intelligent way, which probably, uh, probably has a similar end result, I think. Mm. I don't suppose that's the sort of uh, model you could explain in 30 seconds, is it? Um, no, it's not. It's called the, it's called the STIRS model and it's just make, basically making sure that you're in the right state to give the feedback, you're, uh, you're doing it for the right reasons, uh, you're illustrating it with an objectively described incident and the results that it has, uh, and you write out all of that in your opening statement, uh, which should take no longer than a minute. I think I got that from might have been from Susan Scott's Fierce Conversations or possibly some other, some other model of feedback giving. And then you shut up and you listen to what the person says and, and the <laughs> conversation develops from that. <laughs> nice. Um, well, well worth uh, giving 30 seconds to, to describe me. I think that was really interesting. Thank you. So yeah. if people do want to contact you to collaborate with you or for any other reason, how should they track you down? <laughs> Okay, they should track me down from my website, which is coachingleaders.co.uk, or they can find me on Twitter at practicallyq, uh, or they can find my podcast, which is practical NLP, the Practical NLP Podcast, uh, on iTunes or wherever your favourites. Uh, I guess um, yeah, everyone likes podcasts. That's listening to this, presumably, since it will be a podcast. Uh, on iTunes or wherever and um, the website for that one is nlppod.com So big takeaways for me from that um, feedback be careful about using feedback as a weapon aggressive feedback can kill a collaboration and that picture that Andy created of his successful collaboration like students on a gap year having fun, meeting interesting people, um, and riding together like cowboys, and then eventually taking a new direction. Inspiring stuff. In the next podcast, I'll be talking to Tim Ferriss, celebrity best-selling author of The 4-Hour Workweek, The 4-Hour Body and The 4-Hour Chef, lifetime learner and all-round good egg. Really looking forward to that. See you then. Mm -hmm.